Asia Tech Podcast with Graham Brown and Michael Waits. Michael Waits. Michael Waits. Michael Waits. Hi, this is Michael Waits from Asia Tech Podcast Stories. I'm talking to a good friend of mine, Jerome Lucaru, um, <laughs> the founder and the CEO of Next Step Connections. I got it right because normally, I, for some reason, I can't get the name right, but I got it right this time. Yeah, Michael. Good, good to be on the show. Thank you very much for coming. So, Jerome, why don't we back up all the way and like, why don't you tell me where you're from and where this whole thing started, right? Um, so, I'm originally from uh, Brittany in the northwest of uh, of France. I grew up there, um, a rather small small town, uh, rural area, and uh, I left. Left home at 21 years old uh, to study in the States as part of a um, study abroad experience. So that was in uh, in Utah. And uh, after that experience, uh, you know, how, how did of, you get to Utah? Like why? <laughs> but, but why? Like why Utah? The States is a big place. Yeah. Was it just from uh, like one small town to another small town, or like what were you thinking? <laughs> Yep, exactly. <laughs> um, it it was well. I didn't have much choice to be honest. It was uh, it was part of my university in France, like study abroad program. So, um, you know, Utah State University was uh, on the exchange list, and then um, ended up there. Um, you know, I never lived um, in a uh, you know surrounded by the snow. So I thought that would be an interesting experience for me to be living uh, high in the mountain and and have the opportunity to. To ski, and I thought the region was interesting, anyways, uh, for for diverse reasons. So it would be a different experience than being in, you know, in New York City or in another large town that I can visit anytime. Yeah, I mean, it makes a certain amount of sense, right? If you go into New York City, you're in the United States, but it's a different animal. I think Los Angeles is the same way. Chicago probably would have been the same way too. Right. I think it, there, it, it, there are a lot of foreign students actually that do exchange programs. I think they benefit a lot from being in smaller places because they get a real American experience. Yep, there was a, a great community, um, and it was a rather small town as well, about forty thousand people. But it was, a, yeah, a close, close knit community, and there was a lot of international students, which to me was the real eye opener. Um, I was lucky enough to be uh, to be living in a building called the Global Village on campus, which has, you know, think about a building with four floors and having you know fifty international students from Peru, from Chile, from Taiwan, from Hong Kong, from China, from India, from Sri Lanka, from. Argentina from Africa, all living together, and that was amazing. That was the first, you know, truly global experience for me. And 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 after that, I was like, okay, I'm, you know, I've seen life through the eyes of a Frenchman for 20, <laughs> 21 years old, and now, you know, I'm starting to get, you know, a, a big picture of how people behave in different countries, and it's very exciting. And I you now want to keep that journey going, basically. So you're twenty something years old, and you're now exposed to people from literally from 50 other countries in a really small environment, right? Like in an enclosed environment. Yep. When, so what were you thinking as you were going through that experience? Were you thinking like, oh God, I just have to get back to France? Or were you thinking, this is amazing and this is really a microcosm for the world. And if that's the world, then that's where I want to live type of thing? Yeah, exactly. I think the first realization was to say, you know, we're all... We're all similar. Uh, we all, we all, we're all humans. We all share similar things. And, and, and you know, I can... I can basically be myself wherever I go because I always find people that you know I can relate to, whether I am you know in South America, in Asia, and so I felt I felt global for the first time, not just French, but global. And 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 so after that, I was like you know I I, I must keep going. So to be honest, after that, I, I was you know I didn't I was not sure what to do because that was my last year. I was going to graduate, get my bachelor's degree. I was hesitating between doing a master's or 
going back home, looking for a job. And then I thought, you know what, let's, let's keep going. Let's go to Asia. Um, I was lucky enough to have been um, hinted <laughs> to start learning Chinese by my, uh, my mother when I, was, uh, when I was 18, when I was at university in France. And that obviously changed a lot of things because did you, learning... So did you study Chinese when you were in university? Yeah, I studied when I was 18 um, at university in France. Um, and uh, I, had, I had to pick a, a second language when I started uni. And um, there was a lot of choices, obviously, the, the typical, you know, Spanish or German. And then Chinese was there. And then I think it was my mom who said, you know, you should really start learning Chinese because, you know, China is going to be very important. And that was 2003. Uh, I was like, you know, it's going to be very important. And you should really, um, you know, learn the language. 2001, sorry. So you should really start learning the language. And then I kind of went blindly into it, but I really enjoyed it. And I guess that was another door open for <laughs> for future adventure, I would say. So how many years did you study? Was it? I presume it was Mandarin, right? Yep, it was Mandarin, yeah. How many years did you study Mandarin when you were in school? Um, so I studied two years uh, in my first two years of bachelor's degree in France, and I studied uh, one year when I was in Utah. So three years in total. Okay, that's interesting. So as part of the exchange program in Utah, they offered classes in Mandarin. Yep, uh, because that was part of my. I had to keep, uh, you know, keep taking the same classes that I was taking back in France. So I had to continue learning Chinese, and they had, um, in fact, Chinese uh, Chinese teachers um, in in that university. So I took a, a language class there and, and, and keep learning. So what drove you? What drove you to Asia? In other words, when that program was over, instead of going back to Europe, which is a big and vibrant place, why did you end up in? And how did you end up in in China? Well, so so after that year, um, I was like, you know, I was reading more and more about China because obviously I was learning the language. I was surrounded by, you know, my Chinese teacher. We were going to Chinese communities, even in Utah. And I was, you know, starting to be very interested in Asia. And and I was like, I must go to Asia. And so my plan then, the way I designed my, my, my next two years, I would say, was study for the GRE, which is a graduate, you know, record examination to get into grad school in the States, then take a year off before uh, entering grad school and then go get some experience in Shanghai uh, because I didn't have much work experience. So go get an experience, do an internship um, and practice the language and at the same time explore and experience the living there for a couple of months. That so, was the plan. So your idea was to go get an internship in Shanghai. Yes, getting internship in Shanghai, practicing Mandarin so I could experience living there at the same time, you know, using that experience to apply for grad school in the States. Right. I mean, it sounds like a really super idea. I guess the question for me is, how hard was it? What was the process you had to go through to actually get an internship in China from Utah? Or did you try to do that when you were in Shanghai? But even so, like, what was that process like? Um, I mean, not, not so, not so easy, obviously. Um, you know, that's 2000, 2004, um, harder to, I mean, hard to get connected with people through internet because, you know, um, there would be no response. And, and to be honest, it was kind of a daunting, uh, you know, daunting world for me as well. I've never been there. I don't know what to expect. So, um, you know, fairly, fairly challenging. Um, so I got acquainted with a, a small volunteering organization that was based in, in Shanghai. And that, that was a kind of supporting, you know, students to come there. And so I went to that small volunteer organization. And, you know, they helped me basically to get uh, settled in, in, in China for three months. And so that's how it started for me. And what kind of internship did you do? Um, so I, I worked for a, um, I worked for a magazine, uh, which is the, one of the English language publication in Shanghai because I was 
planning to do a master's degree in journalism in the US. So I wanted to get experience in journalism, in print, in writing. And so I was working basically for for media. And how was that? How would you characterize that whole experience? You know, landing in Shanghai, finding a place to live, all <laughs> of the things. That <laughs> say it again, madness. <laughs> well, well, madness, because you can imagine, so landing in, uh, and, and, and so my, Okay, so just to backtrack a bit, before I, I went to Shanghai, I took a a two-week trip to Hong Kong. So the first place I landed in Asia was Hong Kong. It was Christmas time, and it was my first time there. I was completely lost, and, and still Hong Kong, you know, it's, it's so much more westernized than mainland China, but it was still a huge culture shock, right? And then early Jan, I fly to Shanghai, 2000, um, 2006, and then, yeah, <laughs> Like I, I, I still remember the feeling. Uh, it was, it was, you know, uh, polar winter, super cold. Um, nobody spoke, you know, much, much English. Huge city. You can imagine thirty million people arriving there. Um, yeah, I was for me, it was a different planet. Like you know, I lost everything I knew, and it was like I, I'm starting from scratch. I don't know anything about nothing. <laughs> so, but, but this is interesting for me, right? What is your view? So you've already left France when you were 21 years old, right? Yep. Yep, and you had never lived overseas before that. Is that is that right? Or were yeah, you, did that's you, right. That's right? right. So you then you go to Utah, which again, you know, Utah is nothing like France. Obviously, not a lot of French people there. There's some culture shock there. Not long after you did that, you end up in Shanghai, where there's just some more culture shock. Yep. At at any point, are you starting to think I'm just I'm going back to France, like where it's just easy and I can get things done and I understand what's going on, or were you just like I'm going to brave this thing out and see what happens? Yeah, there, there was a few moments, I would say, the initial culture shock experience, and that lasted for about a month or two, and there was a lot of unfortunate experience, uh, having, uh, you know, some uh, some micro-health problem, uh, having, uh, losing things, I mean, you know, the typical tough journey when you arrive, and uh, and at some point I was like, this is really harsh, you know, this is really, really harsh, uh, but then suddenly as I started to, you know, make friends and really get you know, sort of um, mingling with the community and, and starting to have my own life in China, then start to, you know, things started to get better. And I was like, you know, this is so exciting. I'm actually living something unique. I, I can't describe it. You know, I started to write a blog at that time because I was like, it's, you know, what I'm seeing every day is, I, you know, I have to put it somewhere and for people to read it. And I started publishing stories about what I was experiencing every day. And uh, I really enjoyed it. So it, it went from hard to really, uh, you know, Amazing fun, <laughs> right? But but that's the that's the mountain that you climb, right? When you sort yep. of conquer culture shock, no? Yeah, ab- absolutely. You just have to take a step back and realize that you are going to go to that path because it's outside your comfort zone. It's something you never experienced, and because you don't know, you're scared. You know, I mean, the human mind is very simple. If what you know, you're not scared of. What you don't know, you know, there's a lot of warning and signs, and so you just have to keep trusting yourself that this is going to be fine. And that this is the right way, and this is where you know it requires really like pushing yourself out because um, sometimes signals are very you know like uh, strong, and so oh, this is not you know what you should be doing, and, and but you have to keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing, and that's what I did. So, at what point did you say to yourself, "I'm in China, I now feel comfortable, my internship is over, I have to like do the next thing," for lack of a better yeah. term. Yeah, um, exactly. So, so it 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 was again kind what, of a. And what year? Yeah. What year are we in? Just refresh my memory. What year? Uh, that was two thousand six. So two thousand six, you go there, you do a three month internship to kind of figure yep. out if you want to be a journalist, maybe get ready for the GREs, and then plan yep. on going to grad school. Now, in the end, you never went to grad school, right? 
No, but I, I did pass the GRE. I got admitted at uh, Missouri Columbia, which is one of the oldest journalism program in the States. So I was admitted for a two-year degree there. Um, and uh, <laughs> then uh, things uh, again took a different spin. Um, I was I was planning to planning to go back in May, and uh, and interestingly enough, through my internship, I was interviewing. I had a piece to write on this. Uh, on this Hong Kong tycoon entrepreneur who had, you know, uh, FMB ventures in Shanghai, and I was interviewing him, and we kind of, you know, became acquainted, became friends, and then a week before I was supposed to fly back, he, he basically asked me and said, you know, I'm just, I'm just, um, I just um, took over this, 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 you know, this huge property in the center of Shanghai, in a, in a former French concession, and you know, we're building this big FMB business, and he just told me like, do you want to be part of that? And I was. You know, do you want to learn, you know, day to day how it is to set up a business? I mean, I had no primary interest in FMB, but uh, that was that was kind of unexpected. And basically, he told me, you know, I, I give you a week to think about it. Um, and <laughs> so that was that was a, again a very interesting moment. And what did you do? Well, I had to call my parents and tell them that you know I the <laughs> master's degree that I'm about to enter in a couple of weeks uh, that I've worked hard for uh, you know the GRE all these tests all these books and all these fees and uh, you know I have this guy that I just met twice who just asking me to stay in China to you know kind of trust him and, and work with him and uh, and uh, and build a, a kind of a large FMB project and and I just say yes. What was your family's reaction? Because I find this, because again, you weren't, how old are you in, in 2006? Uh, 23, 20, uh, 23. Right, so you're 23 years old still, so you're still relatively young, you know, and it was in the end, it was your mom who had said, maybe you want to study Chinese or Mandarin because this is a good idea. And then you're calling them yeah. and saying, you know, school's just an important thing for families culturally all over the world, right? People like to say yeah. it's unique to this culture or that culture, but I, I'm a firm believer that education is important to every culture. And, you know, your parents must have been super proud of you for all that stuff and then also proud of you for getting into this program. And then you call and say, I'm not going. <laughs> so what, <laughs> exactly. do they, what do they say? <laughs> well, there was a lot of question, man, but I guess uh, they understood my, my choice. I think I tried to take a, you know, kind of rational approach. I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm experiencing a unique exp – I mean, I'm going to experience something unique in China, uh, which is hands-on business with a local – um, I will get paid. Um, I get to stay in China, where you know I've, I've built a you know a small network, but at least I've you know I've built something. And if I leave it, if I leave that now, I go back to the state. This is this is gone. And so they understood that rationale of you know taking it now, and I can always do my master's later. You know, if I'm if if after a year I want to go back, then I can always defer my master and and kind of limit the risk. So they so they were you know they were aligned with me. I don't think they they fought enough. They, I mean they fought with me for. For taking that decision, so it was kind of um, good to have them on board too. So how did and yeah, I mean, look, have <clears throat> any any unnecessary stress, particularly one caused by your family, is just hard to deal with, right? So getting that out of the way is actually really important. Um, yeah. And and right. frankly, a great skill to have if you're going to go out and do something that's different than everybody else, because you're now convincing people that have one view to have a different view, and that actually ends up being really helpful. So whatever happened to this F and B venture that you joined? <laughs> Well, so we, we, so I, I, you know, I, I came back to France for a couple of weeks, then I uh, flew back to China. We it took over, I think it, it took us about six, six months. Uh, it was an old colonial mansion, a thousand square meter. Um, you know, we had to do everything from renovation to hiring designers. There was two chefs, two different, 
kitchens. Um, so it was really amazing, the, the, the multitasking, the amount of exposure. I was really basically making decisions. Uh, it was very interesting because to me, it was just like I have to get my common sense right and my perception right because I don't have any business experience. And I have to choose designers, food menus, like, you know, marketing. I was doing everything, every single thing. There was nothing I, I didn't touch for about six months. It was super, super intense, seven wow. days a week. Um, seven days a week, I was living, breathing. Uh, you know, that, um, that, that, that Hong Kong investor was basically taking me around the whole time for six months. And, and it was amazing. I learned so much. It was tough sometimes because I had no much friends there. And I was, you know, looking back at home and see what my friends were doing. And I was like, this is a, so much, I mean, a, a very different life. And, uh, and uh, I learned so much. We opened the restaurant. Um, and my role within the restaurant after the opening was taking care of marketing and, you know, building communities, a lot of expats coming in. So I built kind of an interesting network. It was kind of a high-end restaurant. So all the clients would come, you know, were expats from corporations and so on. I organized a couple of events there too. Um, so really fun time. After a year, I kind of my role within the restaurant was becoming, you know, I, I felt I hit a kind of ceiling. I think the fun part was the whole setting up because, again, FMB was not something that I was super excited about uh, from to start with. It was not my dream. Um, and so, you know, after working there for, for a year, I decided to, to leave. And then this is where I you know, started thinking about setting up my own company. I think I had built the confidence that I could do, I could do it. Um, and I had built a, you know, a small network of professionals in Shanghai that I could, you know, leverage on, uh, for that business. So that's how it started. But I think it's a big leap, right? I mean, you go from not being in China to meet, to doing an internship, to meeting some guy you barely knew, to basically helping build this F and B business over a six month period of time to then saying, you know what? I'm not going back to the States. I'm just going to build my own business from scratch based on the connections and the experience that I've had, the intensity of experience that I've had of building this F&B business. Is it still running, by the way? Uh, so it, st- it, it was uh, it ran for about six, seven years. Um, it was called the Foreign Culture Club. Uh, and it was bought over by uh, Chinese uh, restaurant groups. So the ownership has changed, I think, the last two or three years. Do you know what it's called now? Just because uh, I'm just curious. Uh, I don't know the name now, but the name back then was the Foreign Culture Club, um, and that was yeah in a foreign, foreign the, the former French concession. But I, yeah, I won't know the name now in Chinese, unfortunately. No, that's okay. I'm just going to look it up because I was in, as you know, I was in Shanghai a few weeks ago, yep. and we went to a building that sounds really similar to that. Had it's, a different uh, name, but interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's in uh, yeah Jirulu in the in the in the former French concession. Fair enough. So what was the business you decided to start after after having this whole experience, right? And think about it. You go from being 21 years old, going to the States, you'd never been there before, and then you end up in Shanghai via Hong Kong. And now you're saying, I am good enough and smart enough and I know enough now to start my own business. Uh, yeah, <laughs> um, that's a big leap, I think. Uh, that's, a, that's a big leap. Uh, no, no funding. I mean, a bit of funding from what I had heard from my year working there. Uh, at a 23-year-old, you know, I was I was paid relatively okay for somewhat of my age, so I had you know a little bit of uh, of saving, but really not much to be honest. Like you know, small 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 pocket money to put in the business, and then I, the starting point of of the next business called Next Step Connections was really you know I, I felt I have experienced some kind of transformation. You know, definitely when I look backwards, I was like I'm not the same obviously when I came two years ago uh, compared to what I am today, and. For me, it was like I need to be able to share this with others. You know, this is the the starting feeling for me. 
um, it, it was like, you know, I've experienced that because I decided to take the leap to come as a student to China. And given the context of China at that time, which is, you know, the Far East compared to the Far West, you know, <laughs> uh, it's the Far East. And, and you mean that everything is possible. And if you throw out self, if you throw yourself out there, you know, there are so many opportunities. I was like, I need to be able to bring students there like me so that they can also experience this. And most importantly, they can, you know, unlock themselves and they can experience some kind of transformation and, and, and go back home or stay here. But I need to, to you know, to bring people here. And, and that's, that's the starting point. And, and uh, we decided to set up, uh, well, I decided when I started, I, w- I was alone to set up a, um, a website for my apartment. Uh, there was no office um, for my apartment, a website, you know, called Next Step Connections that would advertise programs that would um, offer some internship opportunities in Shanghai, um, plus a lot of logistics, again, to be able to support students coming in China. So visa, insurance, transportation, looking after them. Um, and and yes, yeah, so that's the that's the early days. But you said you so you started a website that was advertising positions, but the reality is that there was no existing infrastructure to do this business, right? I mean, what you were really doing was you were organizing a bunch of sort of fragmented opportunities, right? Like did these did these internships already exist or did you kind of have to go out and sell them as well? No, I had to create them. <laughs> I had to create them. So I leveraged the small community that I had built and uh went through this first community and, you know, kind of pitched them on there was a friend who was a lawyer. There was another friend that owns a business magazine called the Shanghai Business Review. It was still a good friend. And I was like, you know, how about, you know, hosting some foreign students from the U.S., from Europe, from Australia for, you know, three to six months uh, in your company and building those kind of cultural exchanges. And and so they were really up to it. So I started with this small group and then I started to market those opportunities out. But really as a program, as a whole program where you come to China, all is inclusive, we'll take care of it as a team, we'll pick you up, we'll, we'll take you through the culture shock, you know, we'll bring you to the office, we'll plug you in with the community that we have in Shanghai, with this, with this network that we have. And hopefully, you know, through all of this, you know, you also yourself experience something um, different and, uh, yeah. But this is just you taking your, like your previous two years experience and saying, I can now institutionalize this and sell this service to other people? And was it really just because you'd felt a sort of sea change inside yourself? Like, this experience has been so powerful for me. I think other people should do this. And I like the idea that you went to just friends of yours who are running small businesses, right? Not like the Coca-Cola China company, but just a lawyer or a PR person or whoever it was. You went to them, and that was just the beginning of this. But how did it develop after that? Well, I, you know, from this community, I mean, I was able to grow it because, you know, um, they were able to make referrals and I started again to develop a process around it. So community first, then going in networking events, you know, promoting uh, this whole internship experience to businesses as well, the benefit side. Uh, so we started to, yeah, I mean, to obviously scale it, uh, have more presence, attend events, uh, meet more companies, but so always starting from that small, that small group, uh, the, the original group that I'm still connected with today. And this small group had so many introductions to you know, uh, people that were in different industries, but you know, could see the benefits of it, and uh, that that's how we started to um, to take some volume. So, talk a little bit about the growth, right? How did it grow? How did you fund it? <laughs> how much investment money did you take? Like, like talk about that last, but like, how did it start to grow? How many kids were in the first program? How did you yep. convince the kids? And I presume that they were at <laughs> university. How did you convince them that you were credible enough to even do this? Yeah, 
that's the first that's the hardest piece of course um so that first year that was 2008 uh we we launched the program in february 2008 and that first year we got 24 students right so we you got, got 24, 24 students in the first year yeah from yeah 24 um so it was i think we had 16 17 from the states uh we had two or three from europe and we had the rest was from australia and a little bit from asia did, did anybody uh, yeah. come and meet you? you? Do you know what I mean? Like before the students signed up, did somebody from, I don't know, pick a pick a place, like you know, some university in some city in some state in the United States, did they come and meet you first to make sure or they just sent the kids blind out to China? No. Well, that first year was really, we, we, we didn't even think of a B2B model with schools. It was really like a B2C model through, you know, blindly online advertisement to uh, a single website called goabroad.com, which back then was a, is still today the reference for going abroad as a student. And we just bought a link there, so students found it through that link. And it was really the ability to convince them on the phone that, you know, we were, you know, we're not going to steal them money and run away. So that was the, the hardest part. And, um, and I think, you know, we managed to do that quite well, obviously, because we convinced 24 people to join us. And then uh, that first year was really, I uh, always remember, because we had that uh, a group from, from the States, uh, which is uh, a pre-MBA group. So this is basically a group of students who are going to do their MBA in Ivy Leagues in the States. Um, and they contacted us and said, you know, we are interested to run a program with you, a mini project for two weeks, um, where our pre-MBA students will come to Shanghai and uh, we are contemplating working with you. And that was a huge thing for us, because it was like, wow, you know, access to all these students from these amazing schools. I mean... But it was tough. It was super tough. They were very, they were very rough with us. They was like, you know, if, if you still have money, we'll come to China and things and that. And then it was, it was, it was tough uh, to convince them. But uh, we, we managed to convince them, and we took super great care of them. And today they're still friends. And um, and that was really a big milestone. And and, and that first year we turned over almost hundred thousand US. Um, that's and, a lot of money for a company that's just starting out. Yeah, um, starting out, we, you know, we, I guess we, we were at the right place. We're doing something right. And I think our message and our, you know, the, uh, was resonating to people wanting to come to China and they felt that, you know, we were the right people to come to. And so what was the growth like after that? So the, the second year we tripled. Uh, it was, a, it was, a, it was, uh, almost, I think, uh, 80 students on the, on the second year. So this is where we started to take a real office. Uh, the first year we kind of, uh, half of the year operated for my apartment. Uh, then obviously to go back to your point, how did we fund the business? Well, you know, we, we put a little bit of money. I think we had, uh, uh, two, I mean, so yeah, I brought two partners on, uh, on board at that time, a friend of mine that was living also in Shanghai and, and through my original group of friends, the, the companies that I mentioned earlier, I was introduced to uh, an American-Japanese entrepreneur who had been in China for 10 years. It was really excited to join us. So three of us, you know, we had, uh, I think, 10 or 15K US that we put in. Um, and then all the rest was coming from ourselves. So we decided to set up an office, uh, set up a company in China to be legit because we started to see volume coming in, hiring, uh, starting hiring people. Um, and then, yeah, turnover time three. Um, and then the big milestone to me was, uh, you know, the University of uh, Southern California, who kind of uh, emailed us, uh, <laughs> big surprise, and say, hey, you know, like we are the, uh, the grad school of uh, the US, uh, USC program. And uh, uh, I know you, we see that we have uh, an interesting program in China. We'd like to uh, explore your opportunity to partner with you so you can run 
the USC Annenberg, um, you know, international internship program in Shanghai and in Hong Kong. So, yeah. But that's <laughs> amazing. Big, so the Annenberg yeah. School at the University of Southern California is actually quite a prestigious um, graduate program in the United States, and they reverse contacted you. So at the time, were you doing any marketing? And it seems like the growth was almost happening on its own, like almost too fast in a way. Yeah, it was happening uh, on its own, and uh, and I think the school um, coming to us was, I think, uh, a result of more people getting to know us, more people spreading the word about us, and we did something as well that year. We attended for the first time an international education conference in in the U.S. Was that NAFSA? And yeah, that was NAFSA in two thousand nine. That was in L.A. Um, we attended that conference. We met USC um, in person because they had emailed us, and then we visited USC campus, and then you know it was face to face, and that's how we got the contract. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, they, they uh, you know, I guess we we're able to convince them that we were, you know, uh, the right again, the right person to uh, to come to in that region. That we were the uh, uh, China China experts in a way. Uh, for that that sort of programs and uh, and then we, we we had that program for seven years so it was a huge part of our growth yeah so then so now you've been at this for what almost ten years right so this is your ninth yes. year this is the beginning of your tenth year right so you've been running Next Step Connections for almost ten years yes <clears throat> so did it ever stop growing I mean it sounds like the first year you had twenty four the next year you doubled then you started doing the Annenberg at USC. Like, did you run into any problems, or has it just been a straight line up and to the right since you started? No, I mean, I mean, so so the the first three years where, I mean, again, the the third year we grew again. We had uh, about 140 students, so 20 to 70 to 140, so two. Uh, then we we growth until I think it was 2014. We got 190 students, um, so it was a smaller growth because competition started to come. And, you know, we also started to, well, we were approached by a larger study abroad organization in the U.S. Uh, that saw that we were doing something right in the region in Asia and so contacted us to build a partnership with us. So we could be their Asia, you know, representative or the Asia partner and they would be our, our U.S. partner. Um, so interestingly enough, you know, we, we saw that as a way to even, you know, um, get bigger and things went, you know, pretty well in that partnerships. Um, unfortunately, they they got acquired. Um, I think it was two years, three years ago, and so that's where things started to get a bit uh, interesting for us because we had to reshape our strategy. We had to rethink, you know, okay, without a U.S. partner now, do we go again back there by ourselves? So yeah, it was it was a very uh, very challenging moment as an entrepreneur where you think you're on the path and everything is going well, and suddenly you have this. This thing happening, you have to rethink your business. Uh, but that was where I learned the most. So that partnership that you had, as soon as that company got sold, that partnership didn't continue. No, that that partnership didn't continue. That company was sold; it was rebranded, and the relationship we had with that new owner uh, was definitely not as good as we as the relationship we had. You know, in, in business, it's all about people's relationship, and we felt that that we were not aligned with that new company. And so we couldn't give this the same level of involvement and, and um, that we were doing with the, the previous company. So things were not working out. So we, you know, we kind of went on our own and uh, had to restart from scratch on the uh, on the U.S. side, which put us a little bit of a, you know, difficult at difficulty because uh, the U.S. is a big market. You need bucks to be in the U.S. and uh, 
Yeah, so it was a new era for us. So it was really the, the start of, a, I would say, a, a new cycle for the company. Uh, and we had to rebuild in a different way. When you say rebuild, so what does that mean? You lost some revenues that were associated yes. with that partnership that you had? Yes, of course. So we lost revenues from that partnership um, because we had somehow given up you know, the U.S. market under that partnership. And so our opportunity to grow at that time uh, you know, was given up for that partnership in a way. And so when that partnership was gone, then there was not much left of the U.S. market, whereas probably about 60% of our customers were coming from that market. Um, so when I say rebuild, it was like, yeah, I mean, you, you have to rebuild by getting students from other countries to try to fill the gaps. And then, you know, the U.S. is still your biggest market, so you have to rethink, okay, how do we get there again um, and, and, and build a new cycle. But it sounds like you've got a two-sided problem as well, at least, right? The one side is how do you get, you know, students to sort of come in and fill the revenue gap that you had for the students that were coming from the United States? But secondly, how do you fill the gap for all the companies that were depending on you to get interns for them for, I presume it was mostly over the summertime in, in China? So you had to sort of convince two constituencies to stick with you, how, how long did it take to really regrow back to the point where you could kind of get back on your feet again and start to grow the business from that baseline? So it took about, I think it took about a year to a year and a half. Um, I think, yeah, I would say 18 months. 18 months from the point where, you know, we know we're going to, to lose that partnership. Uh, we have to figure out what to do. Uh, we have to, you know, we lose some of our team members as well during that time because it's a, di- you know, it's a difficult time. You know, we have less students coming. So 18 months from that point of time to kind of the moment that we are, uh, that we are today. And I think a simple way um, that we overcame that was, you know, keep the online marketing going. So keep, you know, keep uh, building the presence out there. If you have lost some of the partnerships, you can still get students coming through you. Uh, yeah, digital marketing and, and the online channel, uh, and look at connections that we had where we could accelerate new partnerships. Um, and I think that's you know that's that's what we did. We were able to get new partnerships within the region, convince partners here in you know in Asia uh, that we were you know a, a strong partner to deliver their programs. And kind of and, and and from that point, the company kind of reshifted. You know, we we were like our value add now is really we are a collaborator of universities and we will help design and execute program for you so it was it was a blessing in disguise in a way because it put us in a in a track where we you know could see even more growth in that direction uh but yeah we had to you know we had to to go back in the in the challenging times i had to build i had to build trust again in the team that you know we will make it and we will grow in a new direction so i think for me the first thing i learned is get people united you know, within your company, there's a new direction. The partnership doesn't exist. We're going to take this new path, and you get to get the buying of your team that you know this is going to work out, and everybody's going to stick together and make it work. And and that's really, I think, something that I will always remember when doing some of the difficult time. Is like the team was able to bond, and everybody fought for each other, and you know was able to um, to buy in that that new direction was right and and walk along the same direction together. Yeah, so what do you think, what else did you learn when it comes to forming new partnerships, right? As you said, the U.S. is an expensive place to sort of put a stake down and build a business. And if you want to go back to the U.S. market, which at the time you said was 60% of your students, when you think about doing another partnership in the United States, 
Like, what kind of things did you learn, particularly because you're on different sides of the world, if nothing else, right? So what did you learn about how to re, you know, regroup and get a better partnership the next time? Um, I think it's the, you have to be, I mean, the terms of the partnerships are, are important. I think we, you know, we, we had a great partnership, just that I guess we were, you know, under those terms, it was difficult for us to, you know, to exist when, when things like that happened, we hadn't foreseen that we thought this would happen, but uh, that was probably a, a mistake back then. And so rethinking it, I think branding and presence is, is key. So I don't think you want to ever give up, give up that partnerships are fine, but uh, you still want to be able to play your game out there um, and be there so that if a partnership doesn't work out, then you're still free and you have the flexibility to, you know, to keep going and build on your own. So you can't keep your, your eggs in the same basket. I think it's simple. Is it Warren Buffett that says that? <laughs> it's probably true. Um, and, and I think uh, building partnerships as a way to distribute the programs but keep building your your way, um, yeah, I think that's that, that's what I've learned uh, from, that, from that particular experience. And has your business become more global since then to the extent that you're not focusing on one particular market for the bulk of the revenue or is it still the U.S. is still the best place to get students to come to Asia? No, amazingly, because we had no choice, we, we were like, you know, we, we can't go back to this. I mean, we at the beginning was like, you know, we can't afford to spend too much time in the U.S. So we're going to find ways of growing within our own region, which is something we never done before. And and so now we have done it. You know, we get business out of universities in Hong Kong. We have uh, some great contracts out of universities in Australia. We uh, develop partnership with schools in here in Thailand, in, in Singapore. We're doing it in China. Um, so that pushed us to really get business from our own region, um, and and I, I guess that's uh, that's an amazing uh, avenue of growth uh, avenue of growth for us there because still the U.S. is the biggest market, but through our own I mean within our own region we've been able to develop those pockets of growth, um, and and as you mentioned yes we've been able to expand outside outside China so now we're basically operating programs all across the region and that was one learning as well it was. Again, and it goes from the same thinking, you know, having your eggs in the same basket. I mean, having just one country is also risky because you never know when regulation, regulation, uh, regulations may change. Sorry. Um, so having the flexibility to be able to run business and the agility to be able to run programs all around Asia is definitely an advantage, an advantage for us now uh, because schools see us now as an Asian-centric kind of global organization because we have partners from everywhere. But we are really focusing on that particular region uh, to to run programs. So in a way, it was a double-edged sword, right? It ended up actually being good for you. It ended up good because we pushed ourselves again out of the comfort zone as a business. And yeah, again, uh, I think it's yeah. back to that same topic that you mentioned, right? So this is something that you've been doing, and frankly, Graham and I podcasted about this on our other show last night, and that was you know life begins at the end of your comfort zone, and the concept yep. is. You know, get outside of the things that make you comfortable is where you really start to grow and succeed. And, you know, your story is really just a metaphor for that whole process where you're in France and then you go to Utah. So you're not really comfortable there, but you get comfortable and you learn about the world. And then you go to Shanghai, which maybe you're more uncomfortable. But like you said, it takes time. But once you build that infrastructure and comfort around yourself, anything is possible. And I always like to think that the people that give up are the people that create an opportunity for the people that don't give up. Yes. Right? <laughs> so true. tell me, but let's go full circle again. 
Excuse me. So in the second or third year, I can't remember what, when, but when you got sort of the agreement with um, the Annenberg School at USC to, to participate in your programs, you said you were at NAFSA, right? So NAFSA, just for people that aren't aware, it's an association of international educators, right? And it's one of the world's largest nonprofit organizations. But essentially, NAFSA gathers every year in the United States, yeah? Yes, NAFSA is, uh, is based in D.C. It's, uh, it's a huge organization that gathers every single, you know, you can, every, every single professional that is working in the field of international education. So you get 10,000 professionals coming to that conference every year from everywhere. Right. So you went there the first time really just to sort of prospect for business maybe. But the yes. last time you went, you were kind of, I mean, you were going to go anyway, but you were kind of invited, right? Do you want to talk a little bit about why you were invited to go to NAFSA in 2017? This was in California, yeah? Yes, that was again in LA. Yeah. Uh, so, so it was uh, eight years, uh, eight years uh, fast forward. Um, and so we were there again for two reasons. We were there because we we had to build uh, a presence there again and show that we are uh, that we're still there. But only we're still there that we are bringing innovation in the field. Um, and part of that innovation was in the past two years um, we decided to think of innovation in our own field and how to make, um, you know, how to offer more uh, opportunities to students uh, to work with global companies remotely. And so we developed that, uh, that piece of software called VI Project, which stands for Virtual Internship Project. So we basically took the work we have done, you know, hands-on, online, and digitalize it. And, and, and so... For that particular model, so we were um, nominated uh, as the most innovative uh, internship program for uh, 2017, um, and that was really uh, something that you know we are super, super, super proud of uh, because it's a global, it's a global award, and so being nominated was, uh, uh, yeah, really something that we are we are all proud of. Yeah, I mean, just the fact that somebody in the United States noticed the innovation that you were doing in Asia, I thought was pretty impressive. Um, but also because you've taken a different tact in the sense that you're saying, I can, how many students have gone through the Next Step program since, since inception, approximately? So 1,500, Right, roughly. so 1,500 students, right? So that's a, that's a big program, particularly in, in the context of the rest of the companies with whom you're competing. But that's for kids that get on a plane, go to somewhere where they're not familiar, and then do an internship in a company that maybe they've never heard of. Um, you know, in a town where they've never lived with the surrounding language, something that they can't speak, right? So we had kids come to Bangkok this year, but you had kids all over the region, students all over the region. But the vert what was the idea behind the virtual internships program and why is, and how is it different than what you're already doing? And how is it the same too? Yep, exactly. So we, we sat down and said, you know, we have to think of creating ways uh, for students who can't afford you know, um, to get on the plane and spend a couple of months abroad. So there's a cost factor here. The second factor is time. The third factor is sometimes barriers that you have on the immigration, you know, visas, and you still know that some countries can't travel to some countries. Um, so a, f- a few barriers here that we're looking at, um, you have to know that about 15% of students in universities will go abroad, but 85% won't, Right. 85% won't because they maybe culturally they won't think that you know this is something that it's you know something that they should do something that is even possible because of again cost of 
any various reason, they were like, you know, we have to be able uh, to give an opportunity for, you know, that side, uh, I mean, those students to participate in an international experience and to connect with companies outside of their home country. Uh, not only that, but to learn to work remotely using digital, you know, uh, communication tools, um, because that's the future, we know. Um, and so we were thinking, okay, how can we structure that? So taking that internship piece and put it in a more structured way, and that's where the projects become very uh, critical. And we're like, you know, we have to bring that internship concept into a project base. That's the only way, because you're working remotely, so it needs to be very, um, you know, very precise into deliverables, into how you touch base, um, and so on. So I guess that's that's the starting point for us. So it's like, you know, how can we, you know, engage more companies? Because as you mentioned, I think earlier, you know, most of our students, well, you know, two-thirds of our students will come during four or five months of the year. So how about the other, comp- I mean, how about the companies during those low moments, those low season, right? This low season. Right. And, and so, and, and, and as become more and more common or accepted to work remotely, then this is where we saw an opportunity to get companies more engaged and see that, well, next step is not just only giving us interns a few months, you know, uh, out of the year, but now we can engage almost all year round through different projects and programs that they have. And the same thing for universities, you know, how about this group of students that don't have the funding or, you know, would not think of going to China? Can we get them on a project with a Chinese company? Yeah, I mean, it's a great way to have an experience in a country or with a company from that country, like you said, that's virtual. This is like a premium way for people that, let's just say, don't want to travel to understand what it's like to interact with international managers in, you know, a culturally different company, right? And and to be fair, like you said, if 15% go abroad, there's a market for the other 85% to do an internship, even if they're doing it virtually. It just means the market for that um, could potentially be quite large as well, even if it's the same size as the 15% that, that already are going abroad. kind of doubles your addressable market for that, but it could be even bigger, no? Yeah, absolutely. I think I've, I'm a strong believer of the, uh, you know, the uh, project-based format when it comes to, uh, to what we call the, you know, the future of work. Um, so it's, 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 it's huge, and not only that, I think it's, it, it provides a, you know, it kind of in, integrates the world of work well, with, with school, and that's something today that is needed. You know, students need to be able to understand what is going to be required out of companies early on. Uh, they need to be able to think already in a professional standpoint, not just from the curriculum and classroom standpoint. And this is what it does. You know, and not only that, it opens door, which to me was the, the starting point. You see, when I wanted to bring students to Asia because of the opportunity, the business opportunity, there was also, well, we need to open doors for them. And now with this, they would never think of China before. But by doing a project with China, you put a seed in their head, you know, and now suddenly they start thinking, that's great. You know, I had a project with this Chinese company. I love my, my mentor. And so maybe now next, I'm going to go to China, you know, and meet this company or, you know, there's a new opportunities. And all we are doing is this, is trying to put a little seed so that, you know, you expand your, 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 your opportunities. So do you want to tell me, because you mentioned something, it almost sounded like you mentioned it in passing, but you think that the manner of work is changing into more project-based work. Do you want to talk about that? Like where your thoughts on that come from and how you think that changes the way people work going forward? Well, it's, I think the, the, the way I see it is that um, work is becoming, I would say, a consumer experience. Um, and you, know, you want to choose the company that you want to work for. 
Um, you want to choose the people that you want to work for. Um, you want to work on, 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 and I'm going to use projects, but on projects that are aligned with you, that are aligned with, you know, your passion, your interest, eventually your purpose. And, you know, you want to be working with a group of people on something for a certain period of time and be shifting to working on something else with another uh, group of people. And, and to me, that's, yeah, that's, that's where, that's where we're going simply because now we have technology access. Um, and, you know, organization, the, the structure organization are changing. Uh, so, you know, put the access of technology, uh, that young generation that, you know, everybody calls the, uh, the millennials and, uh, um, you know, who obviously has grown up with technology. So we're super fluent in chatting, you know, on all these apps and uh, getting work done through Facebook messenger, um, and don't see themselves working, you know, in a, in an office all day long. And could be working from anywhere, so it's definitely happening. Uh, it's going to be, yeah, it, it, it is. Uh, it is the future of work, as we call it. Yes. And do you see that happening already? Uh, yeah, I see this happening. I mean, I, see, I definitely see this happening. Um, the fact that companies that we have been working with for uh, some years are now excited to be able to get students virtually to us shows that it's 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 already happening. The fact that schools are seeing also the potential of it and are saying, sure, you know, we would we want to sign up students to get that experience and work remotely. So, again, it's it's happening. And even ourselves, I mean, even ourselves as an organization. So I'm based in Bangkok. Uh, my colleagues are based in Shanghai, in Hong Kong. We have some in Indonesia. Uh, we have a colleague in Singapore, and we are working every day through Slack, uh, Trello, Zoom, right? Um, so we meet each other, um, you know, every every two three months. But we work remotely as well, in a way. If you think about it, that we are this decentralized, destructured organization, which is pretty much everywhere, uh, but without, you know, like as you could see before, like a, a huge head office. You know, it's it's basically we're everywhere, super agile. Right. I mean, it looks like you're running the company based on the precepts that you believe are going to be the future of work anyway, right? So it's really interesting to see like you're using the technology that you believe is going to help everybody else build their business in a way that's project based as opposed to, you know, you have a, an employment contract and you could potentially work on the same thing for five or 10 years. It's now, what do you think? Six months, nine months, 12 months? What do you think a normal project is? Um. I mean, so, so projects, I mean, could be, you know, can be short terms, can be, uh, you know, six to eight weeks. Uh, that's what I've seen so far. And, and I mean, at least for students are engaging with companies, um, short term. But then if you talk in general, I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, anybody could be working on anything from three to nine months, you know, three, yeah, three to a year. I mean, that's, that's, that's what I, that's what I foresee. And so what else are you innovating on? I mean, wh how else can you sort of implement this concept that work is going to be project-based as opposed to sort of, you know, consistently employment-based? One of the great things about a project as well is that it lets you travel from place to place or, in my, in my mind, country to country as well. So it gives you a broader experience, I think, yeah? But what else are you working on outside of the VI projects, do you think, that is innovative as well? So I, I'm, I'm also, so I started another project, um, which is separate from Next Step Connections, uh, that is called Social C. And, uh, uh, I built that to, uh, two other partners who are both French and located here in Bangkok. And, and it's again in the same space. Um, and so this project is, is basically how can we provide a, a tool for students and fresh grads who have gone through, you know, a certain level of experiences, like project based, 
study abroad, internships, volunteering, or any experiences that has been transforming and where you know there's actually some information that can be taken out of this uh, out of these experiences to showcase what has been the learning basically so what values have you learned you know what what skills have you learned and being able to showcase the mindset you know the, the mindset so having more data on the mindset of a, of a student uh, rather than just the traditional and standardized information that we have you know GPAs and classes you've taken and so on it's more about tell me about your life experiences you know what have you experienced uh, what did you learn from it? And so we're trying to digitalize that. So we're still in the making. Um, what we have so far is, uh, is a prototype of a mobile application who is, um, who sh- should be finished pretty soon. And, uh, the concept is to enable students to capture and share those experiences via, via pictures and videos and using hashtag system to be able to, uh, showcase on each picture a tag of a value or a competence that you have learned throughout that experience with the ultimate goal to be able to create alignment between, you know, um, people, I would say humans working in companies and uh, students and fresh grad looking to enter these companies through shared values, through shared values, through shared purpose. So that's, that's, the, uh, that's the big vision uh, that we're working on. I mean, this also sounds like something that you learned in that first intern, not internship, but in that first job that you had when you were working for the F&B guy, right, and building that business. You sort of said you had this paradigm change in the way you thought about work, and it almost sounds like this is the, the genesis of that sort of eight or nine years after that, kind of figuring out that work is not going to be this one monolithic thing you do for your whole life, but it's going to be a series of projects that you work on that's yeah. like a living, breathing organism. Like, I like this whole concept, and we've talked about it a little bit, right? It's like a live resume or a dynamic resume. If you can build a platform where people are just constantly updating what they've done as opposed to, you know, I can use Excel. It's here's what I've accomplished in the past six months. And that seems to me to be a lot more powerful if you're looking for your next project as opposed to, you know, I know how to use PowerPoint. Exactly. And he answers the questions, you know, who you are, you know, and, and to me, you know, I mean, doing this entire podcast that we're doing right now. I mean, when you ask me to talk about my background, I think all I've been doing is sharing experiences. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? it's very true, though, right? That's it. And that's the whole story behind <laughs> it is that it is a shared experience. And you, yep. you, you alluded to this earlier, right, is that that was the reason why you wanted to build this company is because you wanted people to benefit from the experience that you'd had and also go through that experience, too, because I think you feel like it made you a better person all around. Yep. I know it did yep. the same thing for me. I mean, I know I yep. had an international experience when I was a student. Yep. And my life would be nothing like it is today unless I had done that. Nothing. Exactly. So the question today when you are interviewing with a company or how can an employer find you, I would love an employer to find someone because, you know, by looking at the experience and saying, wow, you know, that candidate has gone through that. That's amazing. I want to speak to that person rather than say, well, you come from, okay, you have this GPA, you come from this, this prestigious school. I'm going to hire you. You know, I want to shift that. I want to shift that to, you know, what you have learned, what you have lived, and where you are. And by saying there's no right or wrong, you just have to find where you belong. And the only way to find where you belong is to be able to align you with people working at organizations that share those experiences and, uh, well, that recognize those experiences and uh, share similar, similar values and mindset. And that's how you build a powerful organization that's more sustainable, that's going to be more productive, there's going to be less retention issues. Because if you align with your colleagues and you love your managers, you're going to work well together. Yeah, I mean, and are you seeing this 
paradigm change as well from a, from the corporate standpoint too. I mean, corporations and even SMEs, small businesses still employ the bulk of people in in economies globally. Like, are you seeing them sort of changing the way they're looking at how they employ people too? Sure. I mean, I've I've interviewed companies in the region, um, you know, large ones, smaller ones, and when I asked them, you know, what's the main factor or the main criteria now when they recruit people, they told me mindset. You know, they told me, you know, we'll teach them the skills, but the mindset, the fact that this person, you know, is aligned with our values, aligned with the values of the people working in that organization, we're going to be able to nurture that person, and it's going to be like almost like a community. You know, the, the, the company, the way I see the company should be, or I hope, you know, will be and should be changing into a community of people who are sharing the mission and the vision of the organization and the value shared by the organization. That's how I see uh, the future of a company. Right. I mean, a lot of companies try to sell themselves, particularly when they're small. It's just like being in a family. But the reality is that as companies grow, just like as families grow, just managing that process gets harder. But if you focus on hiring people with sort of aligned values, it's got to be a lot easier to maintain that, um, that feeling of we're in this together. Exactly. I think we've been hiring people sometimes on on metrics uh, in the past that were only based on schools and, and, you know, reputation of the schools you were in, reputation of the past companies you worked for. But that doesn't tell me anything about you. <laughs> that just tells me that you went to a prestigious school, you worked for a prestigious company, but I don't know who you are. And I would rather want to know who you are. You know, that's to me more important because I'm going to be working with you day to day. I'm not going to be working with Harvard. I'm going to be working with you. <laughs> Fair right? enough. So I, need to, so I need to know who you are and nothing against Harvard, obviously. Uh, but but uh, so that's where I see uh, the importance of uh, what we're currently working on. Yeah, look, I think all of that's really important. And look, I think this is the perfect place to end this conversation today, if you don't mind. I really want to thank you for taking the time. I was a little bit late today, so sorry about that. Um, but I want to thank Jerome LeCroux, the CEO, the founder, Next Step Connections. See, I got that right twice um, <laughs> for spending so much time with me today. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Michael. Uh, thank you for uh, yeah, for your time as well and for uh, for getting me out there. Super, um, super excited and uh, grateful for that. You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at www.asiatechpodcast.com.